Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, we're doing another Q&A episode. Which, which we haven't done in a while. This is the first Q&A of season two. So exciting. The climactic season two that we totally teased out for months to build up anticipation. I mean, we mentioned it in an episode that we then launched in season two. <laughs> We're figuring it out on the go here. It's called being a hot mess. Yes. Ever heard of it? The hot mess podcast. Yeah, we love that. Brought to you by Five Elements. Sponsored by Absolute Vodka. <laughs> Never. No, actually, Sam and I have been talking about shilling and like who we'd want to shill to. Yeah. And if we must bow down to the capitalist gods and advertise on this podcast someone else other than us we really want it to be pedialyte <laughs> so if you work for that company just check us out we're probably going to be in your inbox sliding in dms asking for sponsorships and if you guys want to support the show you can also harass pedialyte and say hey there's this wicked podcast that's already running free pr for you that would love to take your money and the ads are so organic because Pedialyte solves all problems. It does. Are you having an emotional problem? Pedialyte. Hydration. A sports issue? Pedialyte. Pedialyte. Are you just waking up with a hangover? Pedialyte. Headache? Are you, are Pedialyte. You, are you a baby with diarrhea? Pedialyte. Definitely Pedialyte. We love you, Pedialyte. Yeah. Call me. Sam and I, <laughs> we buy packets of Pedialyte. I'll buy jugs. Yeah. I'll buy anything. I, dude, we're the biggest shells for Pedialyte. But first... <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to actually support us and that's sam and i not the <laughs> i can't even keep this bit going no. anymore i do have to come clean sam and i are not actually the proletariat of the five elements coaching incorporated dramatic pause we also are the ruling bourgeoisie of five elements coaching incorporated we didn't want to be them we just ended up being this way we're the good bourgeoisie who says dramatic pause i can't get over it <laughs> Oh my God. I'm the bourgeoisie. You know what I mean? Guys being dudes. I hate that. Who own the means of production. We're not happy about it. So you're it. the patriarchy. And next. <sighs> I'm really working on it, you know. Should you wish to support us in our endeavors. <laughs> this is a Sunday. Like, <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. We never record this on a Sunday. I'm just no, chilling. Okay. We're still half asleep. Um, <laughs> if you would like to support the show, <laughs> online coaching is always something. That's the best way to work with us. We are accepting new clients at the moment. So if you're looking for support in your fitness journey, whether that's performance in the gym, confidence in the gym, nutrition support, or even some body composition related goals, Sam and I are accepting new clients and you can apply with the link in the description and set up a free complimentary call to see if we're the right fit for you. Secondly, you can also sign up to our free newsletter, which will be sliding into your inbox every Friday. Sam was back this week. With I came back. The change of the Monday mindset to the Friday feels similar kind of content. She talked about when to push forward and pull back, which was kind of similar to our last podcast. She shared a little bit of things she's been struggling with. Mm -hmm. And that'll be more of the mindset email. And then I take more of the kind of the sciencey ones. So I'll be sending that out every other week. And then in between that, every other week, Sam will be sending out her email too. So that's a great way to stay in touch. And also social media doesn't always share all of our things with you. It's unfortunate algorithms run the world and sometimes you won't see it. So if you want to make sure you see our content the best way is to subscribe to the newsletter so that we're actually sending our emails right to your inbox and it's only our highest quality no spam content of course and of course if you'd like to support the show please consider either writing us a review or sharing it with a friend who you think our content would resonate with or who would you know gain some insight from our myriad of interesting conversations mm -hmm, exactly yeah 
They're always fun. And always, they're always light, too. They're super light. Like, this isn't <laughs> heavy content. This is, you know, brush your teeth to it. So, let's start with some roses and thorns. Crap. And you can go first. Come on. Okay. Okay. Well, you submitted to that very quickly. I figured I should give you one. True. One. In a sea of, we're on episode, this is 21. Episode 21. Yeah. We released our first episode about a year ago. It took us a year to do 20 episodes. I'm not even going to touch on that, but <laughs> we'll discuss that later. <laughs> okay. Thorn first, Rose second. My thorn is actually in alignment with our last podcast too, in a way. I was really excited for fall to hit. I was excited for the change in seasons. I needed that downtime. And there's something about summer that the sun is beaming and everybody's out and buzzing and doing all the things and I was ready to slow down and get back into routine and consistency and feeling like life had a little more rhythm to it than the chaos that usually comes with summer. So my thorn is that though I'm enjoying the fall, though I need this season, I'm also freezing and I'm tired. I think that the energy that comes with summer almost overshadowed just how fatigued I've been from dealing with all of the crap on my plate and now I'm actually feeling the weight of that fatigue I am tired in a way I didn't realize like I feel that impetus to hibernate already it's early it's October and I want to hibernate like a bear and that's the result of having firstly a lot of things on your plate and also the weight of a lot of emotional stress Mm mm-hmm yeah. Every weekend, Sam and I are like, we're going to sleep. I just want to sleep. So hard. We hype up how hard we're going to sleep all day. <laughs> like Friday morning, we wake up like zombies and we look at each other like, <laughs> I cannot wait to sleep. Like, you ah. know, you know how when you were, I'm not going to shame anyone for partying. I like getting after it still. But when you're like 19, 20 and you're like, dude, I'm going to get so fucked up yeah. tonight. Like tonight's going to, like you're playing I Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas. Yes. And you're just like at ready. like 8 a.m. going to work. At the pre, it, the whole world is in front of you. Oh my Sam God. Sam and I do that now with sleep. Oh yeah. Like instead of being like, I'm going to get blackout tonight. It's like, dude, I'm going to get blackout, but sober. Because I'm going to be sleeping I'm gonna so sleep hard. So hard. It's wild, I, honestly. And I, the thorn in that isn't really being tired. It's in the need to honor it. Yeah. It's in the need to actually honor the fatigue that I'm feeling. And that sucks. It's much harder than I ever thought. I don't like admitting that I'm tired. I don't like being tired. I don't like not having the energy I normally have. Like, it's so frustrating for me to just honor my own needs. But these are my needs and I have them and I'm doing my best to you know pull back when I need to but being tired is a is a moral failing on your part it feels like it (laughs) it feels like it everybody's always like busy and running around and doing all the things and I'm like I want to do nothing I want to lay here I want to read a book I want to rest I'm about that slug life but Rose I thought my rose was kind of interesting because I started to notice that therapy was working. Lol. I mean, it's so funny because I feel like when you're in therapy and when you're having these conversations surrounding mental health and when you're, you know, you talk about setting boundaries and using self-compassion and developing some level of self-acceptance and operating with self-worth, those things are a lot easier to talk about than they are to put into action. And so I think that many people, including myself, can get to a place where they're talking about it, but where they're not actually implementing it or where they're not seeing the 
translation of the conversations that they're having into actual tangible behavior. And I mean, I have been on and off in therapy for like 10 years. I have been reading self-help books for 10 years, reading psychology, reading philosophy, Buddhism, all the things that would help me slowly break away from some old patterns and develop new ones. Mm -hmm. And for so long, I was like, why does nothing seem to stick? Why does nothing work? I know all the things, but I can't actually implement them or put them into action. And for the first time in my life, I'm finally starting to see those things actually translate to tangible effort and behavior and outcomes. And that is insanely rewarding. It's amazing when you feel it actually begin to stick. Yeah. I wish that for everyone. I guess the rose in that and like what I want to encourage people is not to give up and not to quit. I know that it can honestly feel like you're just talking about it and like nothing's happening, but each and every tiny step you make in the right direction does eventually add up into something greater. Yeah. Even if it doesn't feel like it. And for so long, it really didn't feel like it. And now things that are easy for me are things that years ago I never thought I'd be able to do. You yeah. know what I mean? No, that's, that, that makes and I sense. finally, you know, it takes a second to pull yourself back and really look at yourself and recognize how much you've grown as a person. But I, I have. And that's wonderful. Oh yeah. my God, it's everything. It makes it all of these hard conversations and all of the efforts I've made and the thousands god knows how many hours i put into studying and self-studying and talking about it therapy all of it makes it all worth it yeah i think expectations play a huge role in this yeah because whether you go into therapy or you go to start going to the gym or whatever you do in life that's a new endeavor our expectations tend to be quite grand oh my god yeah and one thing that i find interesting of course i'm going to bring this back to research a little bit mm-hmm. but when i started really reading research it really opened my eyes to how small changes truly are i know but how impactful they can be so a good example is with weight loss people always want to lose a lot of weight right i yeah. want to lose 50 pounds 40 pounds and we've gone over this before in the research like a lot of the time successful weight loss and weight loss maintenances can be defined as five percent of your body weight yeah. and people will be like i'm not excited by that at all and it's like i get that you're not emotionally excited by it but i can't tell you like there's potentially a lot of health benefits from that the likelihood of keeping it is pretty low so the fact that you could do it is remarkable yeah and to sam's point you might think i'm gonna change my life like just trans form Mm at 180 but if you were to take it on that scale honestly 20 degrees is pretty huge i know and it's it's such small tiny change but for somebody who was so pleasing you know human giver syndrome people pleaser Mm -hmm. that kind of vibe i historically have not been good at saying no and setting boundaries and things like that so even now i'm not great at it it's still a struggle for me but saying no is phenomenally easier today than it was a few years ago. Like a few years ago, it would have given, I would have gone into a meltdown if I had to say no. I would literally shut down. Now I can say no very easily, which feels great. The thing that, is hard for me is the upholding of a boundary, mm-hmm. not the setting of one. But that's oh. a whole, that's a different it's an, issue. It's a new skill. Yeah, right? It's a progression. Yes. You, you, it's like you're adding, you're going from the goblet squat. You're like, you know what? I'm pretty good yes. at this now. I'm going to progress it to a front squat or a back squat. And it's like, yes. you have to make space for that progression and specificity matters. Yeah. And the practice of setting the boundary and getting good at that was important. And now the next progression, right? Yeah. Upholding that boundary. Yeah. Which and is also really hard. It's 
very hard, but it's a beautiful thing to like watch it all begin to stick. And yeah. I have to say, it's kind of been helpful to learn how to reparent myself because in that process, instead of just listening to that horribly mean inner dialogue that I've been suffering with my entire life, I can now listen to a much kinder one. Yeah. And that's made, honestly, all the difference, like in nurturing myself and not just bullying myself and punishing myself for being less than perfect. It's so easy to just bully yourself. I know, we're so good at it. <laughs> but That was a great rose, Bubba. Thank you. What are yours? Okay, mine are a little bit lighter. They're a little more playful. They are. Um, so I've been playing flag football again every Tuesday, and I've been shooting the basketball around at the Y because I signed up to the YMCA to work out. But I also, the, the, honestly, the gym is not great there, but I'm like, who cares? There's a pool that I've been thinking about using. You know that feeling where you're like, I'm going to do that. And then you feel good about thinking about doing it. Yeah. Even you don't do it. I'm still in that stage and it feels good. I feel nice. Like I mm -hmm. imagine myself swimming and it's like, oh, that would be so nice. And I could very easily go, but I haven't yet. So I'm in that stage of change there. And then there's a basketball court and they'll have games. They have free pickleball that I'm trying to get Sammy to come with me to. We're going to do it. And then there's also a basketball court and you just shoot around. And I hadn't shot a basketball in so long. So just running around, shooting a basketball. So just kind of like been playing, which I mm -hmm. haven't been doing enough of for the last several years since the yeah. pandemic hit. And first game back out there for flag football, I was like, why have I not been doing this? It's so much fun. Sports has always been a great outlet for me. And I wasn't nearly as competitive as I normally am, which I was proud of. I was out mm -hmm. there to just have fun. Um, I joined a rec league, which I probably shouldn't have. I'm a little bit more advanced, but I just played chill and I like try to get everyone involved. Involved. And I was out there tr trying to meet people and have fun. And it was it was a really good time. Mm -hmm. So that was a great, that was a rose of a reminder of the value of play, yeah. which I've talked about a lot, but I haven't lived enough. And that was honestly the biggest rose for me. And in case you couldn't tell, Dylan is maybe one of the most boyishly playful people. I've ever met. He is still, and it's one of the more charming things about him. He has that like boyish childlike charm and he is intensely, intensely playful. So over the past few years, I have watched him become intensely serious and everything has been colored with this level of serious intensity. And I've watched him sort of push that playful side to his personality out of the way in favor of being a competent adult man who does all the things all the time and he's hyper responsible and da 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 and though that is a wonderful thing though that has yielded a lot of benefit and being a competent adult good and great who cares watching him play again is really beautiful I love that part of his personality and it's just brings him to life in a way that I haven't seen in a while yeah no for sure I the last few years have been real serious yeah partially just because I'm just a very alpha man Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> I'm really not. But yeah, it's definitely been way too serious. Probably on the inter interwebs a little too often. A little bit too much in my head. Not as much in the real world. The world seems, it seemed like it's ending for the last three years. And I definitely internalized some of that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, everything is happening. And then I'm just reading too much news and mm -hmm. too much involvement. So getting out there and playing, meeting people, being like, oh, it's good times out here. Like I, that was a big rose for me because I haven't done that enough. Yeah. My thorn is that I'm injured already. <laughs> <laughs> And I can't tell you how many times he has made me aware of that. Sam, my hamstrings. Oh my God, my hamstrings. Nobody's hamstrings have ever been as sore as my hamstrings. That's true though. Like I actually, like I ran a sample and I nobody's ever had as sore as hamstrings as me. I can't cope. From the last two weeks. I can't cope. Yeah. It's like 
every five minutes if he, God forbid, moves a muscle. Like if he's in motion, he'll go, oh, oh, oh my hamstrings. You, you, you folks know that soreness when like you move and you're like, oh. I know, but it's just because he played flag football. Okay, so the thorn is that I'm already injured and I have had a, I haven't a lot of injuries in my life. So I've been kind of like blessed in that sphere. So I'm trying not to catastrophize it because that's mm-hmm. something that I preach. It's something about pain management and just overall relationship to exercise and pain that's very important because a lot, oftentimes we'll experience pain, we'll experience an injury, and we'll mm-hmm. catastrophize that pain and injury. And it can lead to a vicious cycle. Definitely. Sometimes it's called kinesiophobia, where then you are afraid of movement because you got hurt during movement. So then you stop moving, which makes you more exposed and more vulnerable to injury because you have tissues and joints that are less resilient. And then that loop just keeps on carrying on. Or you're afraid of certain movements. If anyone's ever hurt themselves doing a squat or a deadlift, you probably know what I'm talking about. We're going back to it was like, oh my yeah. God, you're fixating on, oh my God, am I going to fuck my back up? Am I going to hurt my knees, etc.? So I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to calm myself down and remind myself because this is a huge part of injury management is load management. I hadn't sprinted full out in almost three years. Yeah. And because the environment of football is one where I played for years and I'm pretty skilled at it and I can be decently competitive. I got back out there and I was just full on sprinting and I tweaked my hamstring on a catch where I like ran the whole field and just sprinted out. And my hamstrings were not trained. They did not build up the tolerance to go through that and I just went for it. Yeah. So this is a reminder. If you're getting back into a sport, if you're getting back into lifting, like progression really matters. Yeah. I probably should have been running the several weeks before the season started. Tried some sprinting because I hadn't done that forever yeah. as opposed to just getting out there in the actual play environment and going for it. So instead of catastrophizing, I, oh my God, I'm broken. This is just going to be my hamstrings forever. What's more likely is that I tweaked it because I hadn't exposed my hamstrings to that kind of loading for a long time. If I would have progressed that over time, I would have avoided that in all likelihood. So that's the fighting in my mind that I'm not trying to catastrophize yes. it. But it is so annoying to have that because now I'm thinking about it when I'm on the field and I don't want to do that. So I didn't yeah. need to build that confidence back up so that I'm not fixating on that. That was actually something I dug into recently. Pain psychology? Yeah, pain psychology is very it is interesting fascinating because pain is something that we understand very little about in all honesty and the psychology around the pain that you're feeling is actually far more significant than I ever truly realized it's so complex and for a lot of people especially when dealing with chronic pain or pain that is a derivative of a traumatic incident one of the top remedies for it is cognitive behavioral therapy or therapy like learning how to make manage your relationship to your pain is one of the largest components of managing pain. Yeah, big time. It's so interesting. Well, it's an experience, right? Yeah. It's like there, there's a biological component to pain, mm-hmm. right? Like nociceptors or yeah. they kind of pick up the stimulus that can be translated into pain, etc. I'm not a specialist in this area, but there's also a psychological and sociological, yeah. sociological component to pain. And pain is often now viewed through the lens of the biopsychosocial model. Yeah. But people tend to look at it just purely by and trauma, yeah. just remembering the incident and how it happened and being put into that similar environment or setting. But that's a great thorn. Yeah. Yeah. So already injured and already managing my relationship with pain and injury. By complaining about it as often as possible. Exactly. 
<laughs> we love that. I really wanted a smart ass response there and I just didn't have one. So let's get to today's questions. As always, thank you everyone who shared your questions. We got, we went through some great ones this time. And we had so many. Pretty excited about them. So question one. Yes. How did you build workout consistency? Sammy, you should go first. Okay. So I find that question frustrating because I want more context. <laughs> for you in general, like, cause okay. you, you never used to work out. So it was a new thing for you to like training, like lifting weights. Cause you okay. cycled and stuff before. So I would say the way that I built workout consistency was by starting small and by doing what I could manage and what felt comfortable to me at the time. So I did not feel comfortable going to the gym at first. So I didn't. I had weights at home. I started learning a few things that I could master with dumbbells at home and got confident in what I was doing there. And doing it a few days a week translated into enjoying it and actually organically wanting to do it more often. And I kind of allowed for like the natural progression. I didn't put too much pressure on myself. I stayed within what felt comfortable. And then eventually I felt like, okay, I think I'm brave enough to try going to an actual gym. And then I I just slowly started extrapolating on that like once I built up my confidence in one small window I would get you know a little more brave and a little more brave and from there I started going to the gym more often I found that if I didn't put the pressure on myself to adhere to something that I didn't think I could do that the reward that I would get from doing less and what was within reach propelled me to feeling more confident and wanting naturally to do more yeah so I don't know I think the lack of putting so much pressure on myself was the thing that actually enabled me to build that consistency in the gym because I made sure that it wasn't like punishing it didn't feel like too much it didn't feel out of reach and with every time that I showed up and you know crossed it off I don't know I got this sense of intrinsic reward and motivation to do it again yeah built up that inertia yeah. yeah so I just I let it start really small I think that's a great answer for a lot of folks who aren't inclined who didn't grow up in the gym environment and might be a little bit intimidated because they might internalize the idea that they have to go four or five days a week and honestly like there is even a good amount of research about this a lot of research studies on on-trend people are like two days a week yeah and they'll notice good benefits and even one day a week can have good benefits and even exercise snacks compared to doing nothing which are like bouts of five minutes of activity can be better than nothing for overall health outcomes because doing nothing in terms of physical fitness pretty much anything above that is better than that so you don't need to go five if you're at zero go one go two build up that confidence in a way that you know you can and as sam said if a gym's overwhelming start at home right you don't have to go to a gym in order to train yeah and i think you know when it comes to things like consistency what you want to make sure you're doing is you're towing a very fine line of what's within your reach and stretching yourself true you know what i mean so there's like a bit of a push pull there i think the way i'll answer this is a little bit more specified to folks who have a history of going to the gym and struggle with workout because i grew up in a gym playing football playing sports high school was in the weight room all the time but I still struggle with workout consistency even though I was consistent if that makes any sense to anyone the biggest thing I did was I stopped looking at exercise and training as a, just a way to like get leaner or for outcomes like to that. achieve an outcome yeah yeah actually some outcomes were still reliable but like more performance-based yeah. outcomes building skills having exercise adherence kind of be tied to performance-based and like process-based outcomes yeah. that was big for me because while I still trained consistently it was always like just to get as jacked as possible or to get as lean as possible 
possible. I was always in my mind. And honestly, like that robbed a lot of my joy in the gym because yeah. it just kind of felt like everything I had to do in the gym was for that. And like the idea of just like building a new skill and playing around and having fun and getting better at things wasn't there. And what it led yeah. to for me, because I had history of binge eating, is that when I was in times where I was binging more and eating more and not dialed in, I would start eating like shit. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, well, why work out? Yes. And that was an easy way to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I've done over the last few years is I haven't been eating my best. I still eat a lot of protein. I get a ton of steps, eat a lot of fruit. I try to eat a decent amount of minimally processed foods. But yeah. I eat more, quote unquote, less nutritious foods than I normally would have before on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. But I don't miss workouts because of it. That's true. Where before I definitely would have. Like I'm going to the gym to go to the gym. I'm not going to the gym to like maintain no. a, a lean physique. So it was literally a means of production. Yes, exactly. Yes. So like I do it because I value it. I yeah. do it because I need that physical outlet. I enjoy going to the gym mm -hmm. and I'm doing and I have goals in the gym that are related to the gym. So overall, I think the biggest thing I would say is don't bite off more than you can chew. If you're just trying to be consistent, create a plan that feels within reach. And if right now that feels like 30 minutes, two times a week, then that's amazing. Do it. Okay. Second question. And I'm throwing it straight to you. Okay. So who would you want to speak with if you could sit down with them for a few hours, dead or alive? <laughs> Okay. So I'm gonna break this down into like someone personal to me and yeah. someone not personal to me. And I'm gonna preface this by saying recency bias plays a huge role in my decision for the non-personal one. Oh, here we go. That would obviously, if you asked me this question in a year, it'd probably change. So personal, it'd be my grandpa. He's just a cool dude. He was a jazz drummer, a professional jazz drummer for a period of time in Uganda. He actually played for Frank Sinatra. I think it was in the Uganda consulate. I forget where it was. I don't know the story in great detail, but he was like just a slick jazz drummer, chill as hell. Keeping it calm like he, his vibe was immaculate but he died when I was 15 and he lived in Toronto and I lived in London and he was sick for a lot of the later years of his life and I just don't feel like I got to have the relationship with him that I would have wanted and he's the type of guy who I would have loved to have a drink with right now and talk about life and ask him for advice and just pick his brain yeah. on his life experience. He really did go through a lot. Um, my family were immigrants from Uganda, but they were kicked out for being Asian or Indian. And he stayed in Uganda for several months after my grandma, dad, and aunt had to flee to England. And then they ended up moving here and he stayed there to get this stuff in order and work. It must have been very scary. He actually got ran off the road yeah. by the military. So he had a very scary life. And the way I remember him is that he probably would have kept it cool and he would have kept an even temper and he would have kept the people around him calm in an incredibly unstable environment and my grandma's like that too actually like they are the rocks in that way i've gotten to have a better relationship with my grandma over the last little bit and it's been honestly amazing mm -hmm. i'll always regret never getting to have that with my grandpa yeah where he just would have been during these times where i'm neurotic and i'm so stressed and i'm freaking out about the big things i feel like he would have been the guy the voice you needed to hear. the voice i needed to hear and we talk about reparenting and a lot of this is imagined in my mind because I didn't know him as much as I wanted to but from what I remember I use his voice to reparent myself a lot yeah what would Lewis say because I just he did operate with love That's and very anchoring this might resonate with a lot of people. He was the type of guy where it's like the worst thing in the world was if Lewis was disappointed in you. Yeah. Not if he was mad at you. Yes. So that's the kind of guy. And uh, I just wish I would have had a better relationship with him and I wish I'd had more time. And I always think about that and I think about him a lot for that reason. Actually, if you've ever noticed that Dylan has a giant tattoo 
on his left. My left upper arm, yeah. Yeah, it's this like beautiful, kind of almost a murally vibe of Lewis. And he, he's, at, he's at the beach. He's just looking into the water and you just see him reflecting. It's and like he's wearing very, a bucket hat. Yeah, wearing a bucket hat. He was a very introspective guy, so. Yeah. And I actually, I'm a drummer too. I haven't drummed in a while, but I drummed a lot. And oh, Dylan drums. Don't, don't let him fool you. He yeah. might not be sitting down to a drum kit, but he'll use me, my head, my stomach. <laughs> he'll drum on the cat, the dog. He'll drum on any surface he can get his little paws on. Sure. If he's at his desk, if he's reading a paper, if he's doing anything, he's either drumming with his hands or his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he is always, and it's hilarious to see because it's unconscious. So there are times where a song will be playing and Dylan doesn't mentally have any understanding of the fact that he is just drumming to the rhythm of the song. Yeah. Always. Yes. <laughs> but I, I did drum for years and I got that from him and my dad too. You get the me. rhythm. Like yes. he only understands rhythm. Uh, the rhythm of it all. Like yes. I, I can get it down really easy. Yeah. So not personal. And this is, again, a recency thing. But I'm going to re- hate this. I've been reading a lot of her work. I would say Bell Hooks. Oh, I love that. So she was a radical feminist author for a long period of time. She was a professor. She then started her own institute. Um, she wrote several books that I've read through four of them now Mm -hmm. and I've listened to a ton of her lectures. What I really like about her is my sibling taught me about intersectional kind of thought and intersectional feminism as well but like she's not my teacher so I didn't like just pick her brain for hours but Belle's work is really interesting to me because she was the first person who I read their work of who if you've heard of patriarchy right where like the West was definitely colonized through a patriarchal lens Mm -hmm. where men were given a lot of rights and women were given essentially none but an intersectional kind of approach to that also is white men were given the rights Mm -hmm. and like white women were not given as much rights but they also benefited from it and then Mm -hmm. black men in americas were very enslaved and then black women had their own experience so bell wrote some stuff they're breaking down all of that but she was the first person that i heard and i read a book on about it where it's like how patriarchy affects men yes and understandably you don't hear a lot of how patriarchy affects men because it does affect women more right they are the more oppressed people in it bell always says their patriarchy has no gender yeah and the issues that are trans down to men are pretty harmful too and it's the idea of never being manly enough living up to this idealized version of manhood that is constructed that you have to fit that almost nobody fits and if you do fit it, it's a very lonely life yeah. because it's all about power over. It's about obtaining power over people. And if you have power over people, you can't really have love and communion with them. Mm-hmm. It's a hierarchy always. And it's about defending that hierarchy at all times. And if you think of the powerful men throughout mm-hmm. our history, I don't think of them as being happy. Mm-hmm. I think of them as just having these empty pits that no amount of power, money, success can fill. So like a hungry ghost. Like a hungry ghost. Yeah. And patriarchy does that to men too. And she wrote a whole book on it called The will to change that I was like whoa this was awesome and then I read a book about hers about love and it broke down love in the aspect of like love is a practice where we romanticize Mm -hmm. love like oh love is just a feeling and it's like no love is a practice it's something you do every day for all those reasons I find her to be a very interesting thinker I've loved everything I've read from her and she has looked at things and broke them down in ways that I I never did so I think picking her brain and sitting for a few hours would be healing for me yeah Um, as a man who didn't honestly I didn't have a healthy mother figure growing up and learning from someone like that I think could kind of heal that part of my wounded soul in a way truly a force of nature a force of nature a force multiplier okay (laughs) 
It's a lot. Love Belda. Yeah. So for myself, I mean, Dylan already robbed me of what seems like an organic choice. The first person I would choose, uh, the more personal one, would absolutely be my grandmother. Yeah. Your bubby. My bubby. Which yeah. is Yiddish for grandma. Yes. Yeah. So I call my grandparents Bubby and Zadie. Which is the best names for grandparents <laughs> that I'm aware of. They're kind of hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, so my, my childhood was very complicated in mm-hmm. a variety of ways. My mother adopted me when she was 43. And that was her first experience in having a baby, really. Like my mother was not surrounded by children at all. And being a mother was not, especially to a really small child, was not the most natural thing in the world to her. She was far more, and she says this now, like she was always excited for these years where we get to be like friends almost and equals. Mm -hmm. She admits that. I love her. And within that, I hold space for both, right? Because my mom couldn't give me that need, but my grandmother did. My grandparents growing up lived about five minutes down the road from us. So I spent an inordinate amount of time with my grandmother and she was my main mother figure in most ways. Like she was the more nurturing one. She was very much a matriarch. Like she had such a matriarchal energy, very much a force of nature, strong woman, always spoke her mind, fiercely loving, fiercely loyal. And she passed away very, very suddenly when I was about 12 years old. Firstly, I didn't really get to process her death in the way that I should have. So that's always been a murky, cloudy situation. I was very young and I was very, very traumatized because it was so sudden. But I guess I just kind of wish that I got to know her as an adult. I wish that I could hang out with her today. We used to bake together. We used to cook together. We used to go shopping, which I didn't love, but I loved it because she did. We would spend afternoons hanging out in the garden and she was just my favorite person to talk to. So I wish that I could just spend an afternoon falling right back into it and picking up where we left off and especially experiencing it from the perspective of myself as an adult. I only really knew her when I was a kid and I wish I could kind of see how she receives me today and what our relationship would be like. Yeah. So my brain always plays with that. I can't not. And then for someone who's less personal, I would absolutely say Alan Watts. Oh, I feel like that doesn't surprise you. you. Sometimes I wake up for work and I go and I get out of bed and then Sam puts something on to fall us back asleep to, it's most often Alan Watts. Yeah, like I... Just an Alan Watts lecture in, in oh, the background. God, and it's also that most of his lectures were recorded in like the 70s. Technology wasn't just that great back then, so there's almost like that vintage feeling to listening to his lectures a lot of the time. Alan Watts was kind of a spiritual teacher and I don't know, there was just this innovative and incredibly intensely human element to the way that he spoke and looked at life and his perspective. I've spent so many years with Alan Watts <laughs> without mm-hmm. him knowing it and I would absolutely love to spend time with him and just pick his brain because I hold many of his words very very closely. He has honestly helped shape the way that I see the world and the perspective that I hold and carry. I've had so many conversations with him in my mind. Yeah. It would be so awesome to get to have them in reality. Sam is cheesing from che- from like ear to ear right now. I can't even tell you. I listen to his lectures. Like I'll sleep to them. I'll eat to them. I'll brush my teeth to them. What, I walk to them. What's the gist of his like work? The human condition. That would be cool. 
It would be so cool. Yeah, like honestly, I think so many philosophers and great thinkers would be so cool to just cherry pick for an hour. I love like, dude, what I goes know. on in your brain? Like, how do you see the how world? How did you get here? Even yeah. somebody like Albert Einstein, I wish I could sit down with him and be like, tell me everything. I would just want to, he's creative. That's yeah. like, it's hard to think of creativity in science, but the truth is that there is creativity in science. Yeah, That's he, how you become a revolutionary thinker because true. you see things from a different perspective rather than the very narrow one that we've been handed yeah so he was a creative on some level yeah big time no i see that just sometimes those folks are so in the weeds they have a hard time communicating with their everyday oh, people like i'm not gonna go have a chat with stephen hawking i'm terrified i don't want to dig into that ever you know if there is one person who is like in quantum physics yes that was also skilled at deliberating the message to like the layman terrifying such as myself that would be cool i would love to hear the layman version from a skilled quantum physicist the problem is once you see the perspective of quantum physics I feel like it just erodes your ability to see outside of it ever again I've opened my eyes to certain little narrow corners of quantum physics over the course of my life and every single time it's almost been this reaction of slamming the book shut like I'm terrified get me out of here I never want to think about this again yeah because it changes your perception of reality in a deeply meaningful way yeah I get that don't get me started <laughs> next Oh, this is fun. If you weren't a coach, what career would you have pursued? Um, okay, I got two. So one would be a teacher. Yeah. I would want to be a teacher or a professor or something with students that were engaged. So I probably wouldn't be that good with kids. I love kids, mm -hmm. but I think I'd have a hard time with like teaching them and being my best version of a teacher. So with subjects and people that were like really into it, I would love to be a teacher, whether it be exercise, science, sport, nutrition, along those lines. If I were to go to school and get a PhD and took that other route, that would have been like a lot of fun for me. Yeah. That's probably not surprising to a lot of people. Secondly, an investigative journalist. <laughs> I think I would make a fantastic investigative journalist. You would. Because, and here's the thing, if you put me on a lot of projects, I'd probably be pretty shit. <laughs> I would have to be allotted to like, hey, here's a big case. Yeah. And I want you to obsess over this for the next six months. A hundred percent. I could do that. Because fairness is a huge part of my value system. Mm -hmm. And just how my brain works. Like once I detect unfairness, I'm like a dog who's sicked on the problem. I'm relentless. and Tenacious. Yeah. So, Unrelenting, unstoppable. <laughs> tenacious is how I would describe him like if you give Dylan I mean not you don't have to give it if Dylan gets a thought or an idea if there's a problem that he needs to solve there is nothing that is going to get between him and the solution. He has to solve the puzzle. It's exhausting. It's an exhausting way to live, but he's brilliant at it and he'll literally stop at nothing. If you ever see me zoning out and you're like, oh, I wonder what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking about like basketball or... No. I'm like, no, I'm probably debating a thought of my own in my head. I'll do it for hours. At a place I worked at before, yeah. we found a discrepancy in pay. I basically went through five years of my pay statements and made sure every everything aligned. I lined it with the Ontario Labor Act and I brought the problem to management. They were like, holy shit. They realized they hadn't paid employees in Canada correctly for five years. And then they incorrectly handled it. That's when I snapped and I went full Inspector Dilly is what I used to say to Sam, like um, Inspector Dilly moment where I'd put on like some mm -hmm. techno music and just crunch the numbers and obsess. And I was like printing out like legal documents and like highlighting them and being like section B. Blah, he was going to form a union. Yeah. It was terrifying. I almost formed a union. <laughs> yeah. Like he couldn't stop until he got the answer in full clear like he needed to know unequivocally where the truth was mm -hmm. and then again it preys on his sense of injustice or yeah. any form of disparity Dylan gets real triggered yeah. because for some reason he thinks the world runs on fair <laughs> 
<laughs> as if life is fair. And I find that hysterical, but I too have that same like, that's yeah. not fair. We both. I just, I wanted them to admit it. And I at the I end, I got them to admit it. I know. Yeah. So once it's not fair to me, like, I don't know, a switch His, gets flipped. Yeah. If I were to work for like the Globe or whoever does that work, I'm like, hey, there's a big story. I think I would be fantastic at it because of my obsessive nature. A hundred percent. For myself? Yeah. Would it surprise anyone to say a therapist? <laughs> like, no. do I not seem like a therapist no. to you already? Yeah. Um, and that's a project in motion. So cool. Yeah. A little teaser there. Yeah, but I mean, there were a bunch of things I wanted to do when I was a kid. Like I wanted to be a vet for a minute and then I realized that it would mean putting animals to sleep and being around a lot of death and I couldn't be around death all the time. Your so that was out. Much. I wanted to go into medicine. Again, death, that was out. <laughs> <laughs> You're too sensitive of a soul I to know. be that. I wanted to go into law. What do you think happened oh. there? <laughs> oh, it's, that would be so tough. I know. It would literally kill me. So I couldn't, but clearly... Clearly, I have this weird need to be of assistance and help people. And, you know, my special interest since I was a kid is the human condition and human suffering and psychology and understanding what makes us the way we are and why. And so naturally, I gravitate towards helping people manage that. For sure. <laughs> so next question. Um, this one's kind of like a fun fitness one. So is adding a couple sets of sleds or walking lunges on the end of a workout for a quote-unquote burn considered junk volume. I'm doing it just for fun and I'm not tracking for progressive overload, but just kind of for fun. I could answer this in a few different ways, which is so annoying. Yeah. If you're literally doing it for fun, that's great. Do it for fun. Yeah. Wonderful. We love that. If you're doing it because you're looking for an afterburn kind of situation, not obsessed with that idea. When it comes to junk volume, my question to you would be along the lines of like, well, it's not really junk volume if you're doing it for fun because there's no inherent purpose other than fun yeah. in that equation. So that's fine. But if you were doing it to elicit any form of effect, my question would be, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? And if you have that much energy left over at the end of your workout and you have X, Y, Z goals that you're trying to achieve, perhaps your energy would be better spent pushing harder in your actual workout because this shows me that you have a lot of energy left yeah. at the end of it. True. So if you have these other goals that are competing, maybe put more energy to Towards those goals if you have this much energy left over does yeah. that make sense no, I, but if you like it do it yeah that's the thing. So I wanted to find two junk volume in two separate categories, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. There's the junk volume that people, I don't even think this is junk volume, but there is a point of diminishing returns with yes. volume. And that doesn't mean it's junk. So what that means is like, say you do one set and it gives you like 2% more gains. You do another set, it gives you 4% more gains. Mm -hmm. If you do a third set and it gives you only 4.4% more gains, that's only a little bit more gains than doing two sets. Yeah. But it's still more, but it's diminishing because you're putting in equal amount of more effort for not equal amount more gains. Yeah. If that makes sense. So there is going to be a point where you're going to start to enter diminishing returns but diminishing gains are not less gains they're mm -hmm. more you're just getting less gains per extra set yes and for really advanced people, they are going to be in the diminishing returns. Because if you're a beginner, do anything, you'll get great yeah. gains. Do a little bit more, you'll get more. At a certain point, it's not linear. You're not just going to get more and more gains as it goes along. So that's not really junk volume. It's just diminishing returns. Yeah. But I would say almost junk volume, a better way to look at it is, is doing this actually taking away from my recovery? Is it taking away from my ability to maximize my weekly volume? Mm -hmm. If you adding in the walking lunges and the burning workouts at the end mm -hmm. starts to impact your later workouts and you're noticing you're getting less gains, then it might not be worth it. Yeah. 
But I doubt that's the case. That would be the case for very few people, to be honest. Yeah. And again, I feel like, you know, if your goal is to get stronger on certain movements, if your goal is to build up a certain body part, if your goal is to see wicked performance on a certain lift, and you still have all of this energy left over at the end of your workout to do like heavy sleds or heavy walking lunges or, you know, high rep walking lunges or any of that, I guess my question would just be, are you putting as much effort towards the actual goals you have in your program Mm -hmm. or not? Yeah, for sure. Um, To me, junk volume is more along the lines of like a workout where they'll do, let's say a a barbell RDL and then a B stance RDL and then a single leg RDL. Yeah. And you're doing like five sets of the first one, four sets of each one after that. And I'm like, okay, but now we're getting a little bit redundant, aren't we? Like, couldn't we just put- Yeah, like I don't love redundancy volume, but there is- something to be said about doing something because you enjoy it yes. so if you just love doing sled pushes that's great you can totally do them you could even do them as part of a warm-up if you wanted to get your body you yeah. know awake and ready to go not as heavy not as taxing but yeah and walking lunges they're great yeah you could incorporate them for a multitude of reasons i think you should assess where you personally are on the spectrum of like wanting to do everything optimal in alignment with yeah. your goals and like what feels fun just like trying to be fit and active right Right? Yeah. And if you're 100% on the optimal side, then yeah, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. But I don't think anyone is. I don't even think it's you should because it's not very fun. But like you got to assess where your give and take is. If you're still seeing progress, I don't think this is a problem. No. But if someone said you should do this to get the burn after and you're thinking, oh my God, I need to. No, that's not the case. And when we say burn in that scenario, we mean like a metabolic burn. Yeah. Because some people do believe that they need to do, and I quote, a finisher at the end of every workout to increase the number of calories that their metabolism will be burning throughout the given day and unfortunately no mini rant it's true that the afterburn effect does exist yes. but this is why it's just so small this is why statistics matters so petite. if you ever hear the term significant that just refers to statistical significance it does not refer to practical significance the afterburn effect like does exist calorie. but it's a very small amount of calories that it's not going to make any meaningful difference no, in your body composition it's a grape yeah. you ate one more grape today and you outdid your afterburn metabolism bullshit yeah. effect it's not a huge difference Crap. Okay. Next question. Ooh. What's your favorite quality about each other? Who wants to go first? You're going first. Okay. I'm not showing you my guards. <laughs> my favorite quality about Sam is that she's fucking hilarious. That's not true. Like when Sam is mask off, just being herself <laughs> in our home, she's one of the funniest people I know. The rude version of her is it's grab some popcorn and just watch her rip it because she's so funny. Okay. It's not that I'm rude per <laughs> se. It's that part of my neurodivergence is I can be a little bit bit blunt and monosyllabic so I can be a little bit contrite with my words I can say very few of them to try to communicate how I'm what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling and basically that manifests in me sounding very blunt and rude quite often it's so funny I try to prepare package things better there is a level of tact (laughs) that i need to use in my day-to-day life you know because let's say i'm having a conversation with somebody and they're telling me something that they're doing it's a lot more kind to say i don't know if that's the best idea then that's so stupid don't do that (laughs) and that's what i want like that's my natural that's the way my brain works it's like that's stupid let me help you like i don't want you doing that don't waste your time the way she explained it to me the other day when like learning like with how some neurodivergent folks 
mm-hmm. kind of communicate these things. I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense because it is genuinely like, oh, yeah, I see a problem with this. Let me help you. But yeah. it's not communicated that way. No. And I'm like, people are very sensitive. I am one of those people. Yeah. And criticism that is packaged in a blunt way can just come across mm-hmm. as mean, even though the intention isn't there. So you're really good at communicating it. But sometimes when you go mask off, it's so funny. No. But I would say also your ability to make people feel safe and share and just seen is yeah. it's immaculate. Like my Uber rides are really, I just have my headphones in. Every time you get an Uber, you like, you learn the whole story of the driver. It's like, oh, they're an immigrant from, from this place and they moved here for this and this and that. Or like they, they were an actor and now they're doing this. And it's just like, you learn their entire story and you make them feel so safe. And I've been in a car with with Sam, like an Uber car, this is a good example where like I get in and I don't say anything and then two minutes in, Sam's just asking them every question and I feel like a lot of Uber drivers just feel invisible. Um, invisible. I think and a lot of service workers A lot of feel service invisible. workers feel invisible and Sam is really good at making them feel seen and because it's a very transactional economy and I contribute to that for sure yeah. but you're amazing at that and it's not just a service worker thing, you do it with everyday people and it's, it's wild. Thank you. Yeah. That's one of my values. Yeah, big time. I like making people feel seen. And it's so amazing to me. Like when I walk down the street and I realize the same way that I'm player one in my life and you're player one in your life and every person listening to this is player one in their own life. Every person I walk by, I think to myself, for that person, they're player one. Everybody's player one for them, which means that everybody has this rich, complex, multifaceted, dynamic life experience. And if I want a chance of understanding what that is then i have to give them their full humanity you know what i mean that's a beautiful thing to be able to like give somebody their humanity and ask them what does it feel like to walk in your shoes i love that that's been me since i was a kid so tell papa how good he is (sighs) i'm not i'm not telling you how good you are but (laughs) um one of my favorite qualities about dylan for sure is also something we share it's curiosity i have never met somebody as intensely curious about everything about the world and the tiniest things like why does it work the way that it does like I was the type of child who wanted to take things apart to figure out what made them work the way that they work and you know I spent my entire childhood being told things along the lines of stop being so curious stop asking so many questions and then I found a partner whose curiosity matched my own Mm -hmm. and I love that about Dylan a lot I love that he is so intensely curious he wants to understand everything all the time it's not enough to get the cliff notes it's not enough to just have like this little one sentence here's what it is like Dylan wants to dig in he wants to know everything and then he wants to rip it apart and he wants to destroy it to like throw it at the wall and see what sticks and what holds up and what falls down and I don't know the way that he looks at life and the lens through which he sees the world will never stop being fascinating to me. It's, it's why we talk so often. It's why, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I get lost in his brain as often as I can because we look at things differently, but we both look at them with curiosity and with the aim to understand and make sense of. So I don't know. It's just like this beautiful experience and I never get tired of him because of it. Well, thank you, Baba. That's so sweet. I love yeah. our chats. We It's never, it's rarely light and it's just 
all over the place. And there is a level of curiosity that I truly do value because it's a lot of fun to just explore that shit. It's a lot of fun. And if I don't know something and if 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 it becomes abundantly clear that I don't know something in a topic, I'm like, let's learn it. Oh, I have to know everything. I know. And it's just like, for example, I did a whole course on statistics because I read research and now I'm like reading a massive textbook on it and it's fun to me. And I'm like, I know enough about statistics that I can read a paper and understand it decently, especially if someone else communicates it. But I'm like, no, I want to understand everything. I want to understand. I want to understand it enough to critique the way they conducted their statistics, which is wild. Like I'm not a statistician, but that's how my mind works. I'm like, if I'm going to really invest in this, I want to be able to critique it. One of my favorite things is sometimes, let's say Dylan and I are walking down the street and one of us poses a question that the other one doesn't have an answer to, or we're watching a movie and one of us goes, hey, what about this? And the other one goes, oh, I don't know, actually. There will be like a little gentle pause. And then we look at each other and go, are you going to Google it or am I? <laughs> and like, Or he'll look over at my phone and he'll see I'm already on Reddit or something like that. Like I'm yeah. already getting into the rabbit hole. Yeah. So I absolutely love that. And the other thing I love about Dylan is his giant, giant bleeding heart. He will guard it fiercely. It's covered in stone. He's super protective. He's like a little turtle in his shell but no one has a bigger bleeding heart than this man thank you and it's yeah Hmm. it's just really (laughs) well hidden (laughs) it's it's hidden it's under a couple layers (laughs) i envy that last question this is a heavy this is a heavy one oh shit yeah shit um this was a fantastic one too so what do you do as a coach to ensure you're inclusive of race gender and socioeconomic status Oh my God, where do I even begin on this? Okay, so when it comes to inclusivity, one of the first things I think about often is barriers of entry because I typically work with women and sometimes that includes beginners and that includes people who either haven't had a longstanding relationship to fitness or who don't have any experience of being in the gym either in their youth or in adulthood. So one of the things I always think about is firstly, layer one is, a woman of course as a woman you don't feel necessarily historically as welcomed into the space of a gym yeah as necessarily a man or maybe you're relegated to the treadmill yeah and you better not ask for a bench right like (laughs) or you don't deserve a squat rack and that still happens often like that is still something that I see ever present in gyms so I work with my clients to try and help them navigate what it's like to be present and in an environment where they don't necessarily feel like they are the most welcome because they still deserve to be there. And the same way that, you know, people in bigger bodies are often made to feel really uncomfortable or looked at funny or looked at differently, honestly. Very judged. Yes, judged in the gym. That's something that we also definitely work with them on. Like I have clients who have never been in the gym before and they have that as a goal, right? So if that's their goal, then we slowly build up and work towards it. But if somebody does not ever want to go into the gym, we are never going to say to them, no, you have to. That's a big thing. With Sam's like approach to inclusivity there, I'd say like, yeah. I think historically some coaches who are ignorant to this, I think just go to the gym. What do you mean? Yeah. And it's like, no, you have to be aware of an individual's relationship to this. 100%. And the intersection of their identity might play a big role. Yeah. If it is a like gym that's marketed to people in lean bodies, which a gym we used to work at was very much that. Very much. They didn't say fat folks are not welcome, but the environment kind of said like, kind of how some clothing companies, they don't 
say, hey, hey, fat people, don't wear this. The clothes just kind of say, don't wear this. And a lot of gym environments, unfortunately, create an environment that says that. Yeah. And if you had a client who didn't feel as comfortable in that environment and you said just grow up and suck it up and get into the gym you're being very exclusive and kind of like ignorant and not allowing for them to share their fears and share like their constraints and you need to be able to be open to that yeah so one of the things that we always make sure to do is to modify our approach and tailor it to the individual and that inherently does make it a more inclusive practice because you know i remember coaching a client through ramadan and i could easily have said oh I don't do this or this isn't how we do things or you still have to hit your macros and what are you thinking and you're going to work out this much and it's going to look like this no I'm modified to make it work for their needs for their culture for their religion well that's a good example Um, because you've talked a lot about some potential downsides of fasting for women in particular yeah the data isn't overwhelming but there is some data that says it might not be the best yeah I think someone who was ignorant to this stuff would say especially if they weren't Muslim or they weren't like observing Ramadan but I'm yes. like, dude, like fasting's not that great. And said, you have to understand that this is a part of their spiritual culture. 100%. And you're like, okay, so what can we do within this? Because you, you're a practicing Muslim yeah. and you're observing Ramadan and you supported them in that and you listen because you don't know a lot about Ramadan. No. So it's like, tell me what you're doing and I'll see what I can give within that yes. framework to be as supportive as possible. Yes. And it's the same way in working with people from different races and ethnicities. You are going to, or you should be modifying your approach to make sure that it works for them from a bigger perspective telling somebody who grew up eating a certain way that suddenly they now have to adopt the rice chicken broccoli three meals a day every day for the rest of their life is ridiculous and it literally lacks intersectionality on every level that is not how somebody needs to eat or you know jamming a square peg into a round hole like it's so that's a great example you're talking about where like i think we use my grandma as an example yeah where it's like if she hired a non-Indian coach mm-hmm. and they're like well you just gotta eat this and it's like dude my grandma's been eating Goan food for like 50 I know. years like how about you learn about Goan cuisine and then you guys can collaborate and say okay what are some adjustments we can make to make this more suitable to your dietary patterns that are in heavily influenced by your racial and ethnic background that is a much better approach yeah otherwise it can kind of come off as just racist like 100%. who cares this is the way we do it here and it's like wow that has a lot of uh, superior tones in your voice that is a great way to go about it because I I also don't want to act like we do a ton. We don't do a ton here because we are a fitness company. We coach people. We're in capitalism. Education is probably the best way we go about this. Yeah. Um, So for socioeconomic status, our service is not going to be affordable to a lot of people in the lower area of socioeconomic status. Yeah. I wish it was. It's something I've always contended with. But our content is always delivered and it's created with that in mind. So whenever I write articles, whenever we do podcasts, I try to make sure that the suggestions we're giving don't make it so that the reader or the listener is going to be like, well, okay, I have to go to a gym to do this or I have to eat this certain way. I try to make sure that it's accessible for most people because even if we didn't need to make content for advertising, I would still make free content because I want to make free accessible content to people who can't afford my service. And when I've had people reach out and ask and and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't afford it i just say sign up to our free newsletter you know read my articles they're free they're gonna Mm -hmm. be intentionally created for you to be able to do it without having to have a high amount of disposable income or to do anything kind of fancy buy some expensive supplements that's probably the biggest area i'd say there is in education content creation and also how sam and i communicate i think Mm -hmm. we we intentionally communicate in an inclusive way for that reason and i think that can go a long way but i'm not gonna act like we're really moving the needle on it we're just trying to do our best yeah we're just we're trying 
trying to include as many people as we can. And that's really hard to create a safe space within fitness. It's very hard to firstly toe the line between not sharing our politics and sharing our politics in business. That feels insane often. I think people could guess our politics from listening to how we speak. But it's like... (laughs) I know. It's just, it's really hard. And yeah, we do aim to be inclusive. Like we do not wish to perpetuate the gender norms, the stereotypes, the binaries, all of that. The like, fat phobia, like some of the racist Oh my tones. God, like, the those... racist undertones. Yeah. Like it's, there's a lot. Even when it comes to gender, specifically in fitness, everything is very female, male oriented. It feels like there's very little space to be held for trans people or anyone non-binary. because everything is so catered towards two very specific gender variations but not an overarching so we try to make it more overarching we we do wish to create a safe space within one that feels inherently completely toxic that's probably the best thing that we can do and we we learn a lot it's probably outside of what I learn or read about like fitness science and like exercise science sport nutrition I did say that one of the persons I'd want to hang out with is bell hooks like that kind of tells you the kind of stuff that Sam and I like to read and talk about yeah. my sibling runs a sociology journal so they educate us quite a bit yeah um so education and, and how we conduct ourselves is probably the biggest thing and then creating free content mm-hmm. and communicating in a way that does make space for people who've been traditionally excluded in the fitness industry probably how i'd sum up that question the most a hundred percent so we've talked forever <laughs> and we have to go yeah this is it it's a sunday oh wow it's 12 23 yeah we've been chatting we've been it chatting. up i mean these episodes are a lot of fun for us to record and hopefully they're fun for you to listen to. We do have sort of an imposter syndrome vibe because we feel like if we're not objectively giving you tangible, practical, applicable advice that we're just kind of wasting your time. But we're shooting the breeze today. I know. Today was a shoot the breeze situation and if you liked it, please let us know. Yes, yeah, feedback is everything to us. Yeah, um, we need that. Because we want to make sure we're creating content that's helpful and actionable to you and that you also enjoy. Yeah. We want to make fitness approachable and enjoyable and accessible, creating evidence-based content that's going to give you the best practices to apply to your workouts and nutrition, etc. So I hope you listened to this while you went on a walk or got your steps in or did something fun today because we've just been hanging out. Hmm. So hopefully we've been hanging out with you too. Yeah, I will see you soon. And thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.